find your seat and we'll get started. While you're doing that, I want to draw your attention to the bulletins. A couple of important things that you guys need to know. On February 19th and 20th, over at Webster Hall, we are having a seminar uh, called The Cross and the Crescent, put on by Rick and Colleen Borkovec, who are missionaries that this church supports to Pakistan. They're going to be doing this seminar on Friday evening, the 19th, and all day Saturday. So it's of no cost. All you need to do is show up here uh, Friday night at 6 o'clock to get started. And it's going to be very interesting. It's essentially uh, an informative viewpoint from a Christian perspective about what Islamists believe and some of the impact and influence uh, that, of course, is having around the world and certainly um, in Islamic countries and how Christian missionaries are are having to deal with that. Also, next Saturday, the 13th at 8.30, uh, here at the church, uh, we're going to have a Helping Hands breakfast and service morning where we'll be doing some light maintenance and have a breakfast. So if you have some time next Saturday here at the church at 8.30, that would be wonderful. Also, just to sort of give you guys a heads up, if you may, you may have noticed already, but the youth, our middle schoolers and high schoolers aren't here this morning. And that's because they are doing youth worship service over at Bethany Church this morning. Next week, they are going to be here, and the service is going to be youth worship. They are going to be conducting the entire service. We're going to have youth in the sound booth. We're going to have youth ushering. We're going to have youth leading the praise and worship, and we're going to have youth preaching the Word. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah. So they're doing that this morning over at Bethany next Saturday here, or next Sunday, here. So, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm noticing that it's 20 after 10, and I've got at least, I don't know, an hour and a half worth of material here. (laughs) I don't think it's going to influence the kickoff. We should be out of here in time for that. No. No, I'm just teasing Actually, what I may do, though, I do have more than 10 minutes worth of stuff to preach here, though, so I may just do the introduction, because the introduction, actually, for John chapter 17, is pretty good stuff. So we'll see what the Lord leads. If I start noticing you nodding off, then we'll finish. John 17 is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It never refers to him as the high priest in this portion of Scripture, but it has uniformly come to be called the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Now, what we do know for sure is that Jesus is our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, because we have this great high priest, Jesus Christ, approach God's throne of grace with confidence or boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, of course, the high priest, his role in Jewish religion was to represent the people unto God. Once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. 
For those of you who don't know, in the Jewish temple, there was an outer court that was the court of the Gentiles. Then you would move in to the place where the bronze altar was, where they would offer sacrifices. You had to be a Jew or a proselyte in order to come into that area of the temple. And then you would enter into the temple itself. And the first part of the temple was the holy place. That's where the the table of showbread was. And that's where the menorah would be. And all of this is figurative, representative of what God was going to do. But behind a veil, there was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And where the very presence, the Shekinah, glory of God dwelt. And that once a year the the holy or the high priest would enter into the holy of holies to offer blood sacrifice for the people. He would sprinkle blood there on the ark of the covenant. Of course, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, when Jesus proclaimed it is finished, what happened? The veil was rent. And how was it torn in two? From top to bottom. Now here's a little tidbit that you may not be aware of, but the temple veil at the time of Jesus Christ was six inches thick. It was an extraordinarily thick piece of fabric. They had spent a lot of money and time building this up. Not easy to tear in two, and certainly not from top to bottom. Because the other thing you need to know is the temple veil probably was at least as high as uh, the beams here. So it would come down about 40 feet, and this probably maybe um, isn't even 40 feet, so it's much higher than this that was torn from top to bottom. Figurative of the fact that Jesus had offered his flesh, his body on our behalf, because the veil represented his flesh. And his flesh was broken, torn in two, so that we could have entrance into relationship with God the Father. Now again, back in John 17, Jesus is not referred to as the high priest specifically in this passage. However, He is praying or interceding on behalf of the disciples. And not only the disciples who were with Him. As I read for the communion in verse 20, He said, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, for the last 2,000 years, beginning with the day of Pentecost, the message has been proclaimed. From the very outset, Peter proclaimed that the Jews had crucified Jesus, but that He had risen from the dead. And people began to believe and come to Jesus Christ in faith. And every generation has proclaimed, as Psalm 145 says, the glory of God to the next generation. And that, my friends, is why we are here this morning. Because someone told you about Jesus. Maybe it was in children's church. Maybe it was a co-worker. Maybe it was a family member. I know for myself, I had several cousins who are believers who were praying for me since I was a very young child. But ultimately, we all came to faith because of this prayer, 
that Jesus prayed, that there would be others who would come to believe in him through the message of the apostles. And that is exactly what has happened. So this whole chapter, chapter 17, is for you and for me. This prayer does not apply only to the twelve, but it applies to us as well. Now, I have five different things that Jesus has done for us that he alludes to in his high priestly prayer. It says in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So I've done these things. I've finished the work. We'll talk about that in a moment. And probably I'm going to save that for a couple of weeks from now. We'll get into that. Because there's just too much for me to, to, to delve into. That, and I don't want to skip over it. But in the first part of this prayer, and this is, this is very, very important. What eternal life really is, is revealed to us. And it's so important that we understand here this morning that you embrace this understanding of what eternal life is. Because there are, honestly, in the world at large, but even within Christendom, all kinds of erroneous perceptions of what eternal life is. Some people have the notion that eternal life is something that happens to us after we die. And we come into this ethereal state and we're sitting on a cloud somewhere in the heavenly realms playing a harp for eternity. And that's eternal life. Well, I had this conversation with John Cattles and we both agreed if that's eternal life, we're getting gypped. But that's not eternal life. There's so much more to, to what we have as believers. And Jesus talks about that in these first few verses. Jesus, after he said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people. This is a a reference to something he will say after his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. All authority. Jesus told the disciples as he was preparing to ascend into heaven, all authority has been given unto me both in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that Jesus is not sovereign over. All authority has been given to him. And here he is pointing out, it's really the language of faith. Jesus is saying this before he has even gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. Before he has even struggled in prayer and sweat, drops of blood, he is praying here to his father that recognition that all authority is given to him over all people why why is all authority given to jesus well he says that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him so ultimately this is the whole point that jesus came to the earth for is to give unto us to those whom the father has called out Eternal life. That's what it's all about. Is to obtain eternal life through the ministry of Jesus Christ. So here's verse 3. And this is what I want you to focus in like a laser on this morning. Now, this is eternal life. 
that they know you, speaking to the Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life here, Jesus defines it as based in a relationship. It's not about sitting on that cloud playing that harp. That's not what eternal life is about. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they might know you. The term there is genosko in the Greek. What it means is to know someone relationally. To be in relationship with them. I was watching the... uh, Republican debate last, well, I was trying to watch the Republican debate. Every now and then I had to run back to the bedroom just because it was too much for me. De- political debates, oh, it's just hard for me. And Christy says, do I need to turn the sound down a little bit? I said, no, that's okay. But anyway, I was watching that, and I was thinking to myself, interesting, people are watching this debate, and they're trying to inform themselves, understandably, about who the candidates are, what their positions uh, are and, and where they agree with the candidates. But the reality is, is that I'm looking up there at these men and I don't know them. I don't genosco them. I have no relationship with them. I'm getting some information about them through this debate. And of course, we all get that through the media and stuff. But the reality is, I am not in relationship with them. I don't know them relationally. So we can know something about someone and not be in relationship with them. This is eternal life, that they may genosco you, that they may be, know you through relationship. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we come into relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That relationship becomes eternal life to us. Our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ becomes eternal life. So so here's the point, and here's where we'll conclude for this morning. This is what you've got to understand. Eternal life is not something that you are looking forward to down the line. That you eventually will arrive at. True. Very true. We will be changed. These bodies of corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. We will become like Him because we will see Him as He is, the Apostle John said. But the reality is, church, that you and I, if we are in genosco, if we know the Father relationally, possess, hold on to, embrace eternal life this morning, here in this building, you began that journey of eternal life the moment you entered into relationship with Him. Because that's what Jesus 
said eternal life is. So eternal life is all about relationship with the Father through the Son. Now, this relationship, as all relationships do, grows in maturity. We see through a mirror dimly now, but then we will see face to face. We will know fully, the Bible says, as we are fully known. So we are going to grow in this relationship. We are going to know more intimately who the Father is. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks because Jesus prays about this. But I want you to walk away from this building this morning understanding that if you have entered into relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, you have eternal life according to Jesus today. It's a journey that you will grow in, but I don't want you to think that you have to wait until some time yet future to experience the fullness and the wonder and the awe and the glory of eternal life. You have it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, Father, that each one of us would fill our lives with that eternal life that you have given to us through your Son. It's a beautiful, beautiful life that you have given. It's the heart of the Gospel, knowing the true God. Jesus is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. He's the only way to the Father. And Jesus, you have given to us that life, and we thank you for it. And we're in awe of you for all that you have done. Amen.